grit. It's what enables an individual to persevere in accomplishing a goal despite obstacles, barriers, and ceilings placed in their way over and over again. On SEN, this is Grit with Daisy Pierce. Welcome to This Is Grit for Victoria Police. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. My guest this week is Ash Barty, the number one ranked women's tennis player in the world and one of Australia's most universally loved and admired athletes. Admired for her skill and athleticism, for her attitude and work ethic, and loved for her humility. Ash welcomed me into her world during one of her precious weeks at home between WTA tournaments. I could have talked tennis, sport and her career all day, and did, so we've had to split the chat over the next two weeks. Part one coming up, but tune in next week for part two. Well, I feel very privileged to be uh, in the home of Ash Barty, and privileged because I know it's not very often that you get to come home, so the fact that you're giving me a couple of hours of your time, me and the This Is Grit listeners, we're yeah, very honoured, and thank you. <laughs> No, it's, it's good. It's good to be home and um, nice to just take a couple of quiet days um, away. I mean, still training and still working hard, but um, nice to be able to come home just to, to the comforts of home and, and to have you here with us. How many days a year do you spend here at home? Not enough. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm away probably 35 weeks a year, um, give or take a couple of, couple of weeks, um, but not long. I think one of the things I, I like to do when I do get home is to take time off and I make sure that whenever I come home from a trip, I... I have a week, if not more, where it's no tennis, no training, just spending time with um, with the boys, the puppies, niece and nephew, kind of just catching up with everyone. And scrubbing back up on your barista skills on the nice coffee machine you've got there? Yeah, a little bit rusty always the first one. <laughs> I usually give them a cl- uh, the machine a clean the, the first day that I get home. But it's Why, because been... you don't trust Gary to clean it? Or... Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't even use it. So oh. it sits there and collects cobwebs. I'm like, come on, boys, at least give it some love while I'm away. But... Um, <laughs> No, make sure there's fresh beans, but it's big. <laughs> so what's your, um, what's your poison? <laughs> Doggy's right on cue. Um, uh, Boys, come on, what's okay. up? It's all right, mate. It's all right. That's, um, that's Ash's dogs going berserk at something out the front. What? Okay. what? Twin boys? What? Yeah, twin boys. They're Northern Queensland boys, actually. They're from Townsville. What kind of dog? Dogs Maltese cross shih tzu. Um, they're very so they've, cute. they've come down and, and joined our little wolf pack down here. But um, yeah, they, they love it. They love it. They're, they rule the house, that's for sure. Um, they're, my, they're my coffee boys, actually. They're named Affy and Chino, after, or short for Affogato and Cappuccino. So <laughs> you are a coffee. Uh, I'm coffee a little thing. bit of a connoisseur, and um, yeah, they're, they're my beautiful little boys. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I won't hold you back from getting uh, into this coffee any longer. Um, don't let my small talk stop you. No, long black, I think, will do us this afternoon, and we'll be right. <laughs> Pride and joy. It's a shocker. <laughs> I spend more time here than I'm proud to, to admit. How many coffees a day? What what fuels the number one tennis player in the world? <laughs> um, depends how bored I am, I think. Uh, often if I'm bored, I'll just come home and have a coffee, but um, three or four a day, I think, is probably, probably normal. 
Um, and on a on a busy day, if I'm stuck, I'm, I'm stuck on two. But um, yeah, all spread throughout the day, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Is that where the love of coffee's come from? You think just like filling time and giving yourself something to that you can, I guess follow all the, all the way around the world or yeah I think it it probably it started with my sisters and, and kind of them just catching up for a coffee uh, when I came home from trips is, is catching up over a hot chocolate to start off with and and then I was like no nah, I need to get into this <laughs> time coffee. to grow up need to get into this <laughs> coffee business and um, yeah from from there I think it was just then while I was away um, a way for me to see different cities to find different cafes around the world and uh, and kind of go from there but yeah What's it like coming home now? Now, I, I can imagine life would have changed a little bit since winning the French Open. Is it different coming back home to Ipswich now? Yes and no. Uh, I think there's nothing's really changed um, me or, or my team. I think more than anything, there's a little bit more recognition and, and people say good day when I go down to Woolies and whatnot. But um, yeah, more I mean, targets. <laughs> or Target or when I'm jumping out just to, to pick up a few books and, and different things. But, um, no, I mean, it's it's amazing, the, the support and the love that I get um, all around the country, but especially when I'm home, um, it's it's really cool. What what makes you keep coming home? I, I might be off the mark, but most top-ranking tennis players that I sort of keep half an eye on live in all these really, really glitzy flash places around the world now I hope I'm not offending anyone from the Ipswich <laughs> please take this the right way but you keep coming home and you've always come home why is this the place you want to spend when you when you have time off the circuit uh, this as simple as it is this is home this is where I grew up um, I mean I'm I've moved out um, and kind of live with live with my family my boyfriend my dogs and, and all of that but we're only all of seven or eight k's from mum and dad um i'm three kilometers from my other sister and, and 20 minutes from my other sister so i think for us we've always been a family that's been very close and and this is our niche we've we found our spot and we find it um beautiful out here it's peaceful it's quiet um and i was lucky enough to to kind of build a build a home for me that um i love the little little things that I love about it kind of more than other, other areas and, and some specific things that I really wanted but coming back here this is this is home this is where the heart is and I'll I mean even if I tried I don't think I could ever move interstate I don't think I could ever move more than 30 or 40 minutes away this is this is where it all begins and, and this is where it is for me and family is clearly probably the most important thing to you in in your life you'd say Absolutely, absolutely. I know that um, as, no, as long as I love my family and I, I have their love and, and they love me and all those things, it's, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter um, whether you have five bucks to your name or, or five million. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to change anything. And I mean, being able to spend time with them, that's, that's all that matters. I'll let you punch out this second one <laughs> and then we'll, we'll keep chatting. Milk? Doing out the shot and like timing the shot. Yeah, he's so into it. It's ridiculous. I want to get um, in my forever home when whenever I do finally build it. Yeah, I want to get a coffee bar where it's all built in underneath. Yeah, 
I'm scared to know how much that's going to cost me, but that's, that's something that I feel could be a non-negotiable. Sometimes when I, um, like Ben always makes the coffee, that is one of the good things about, we, we each had a machine before we moved in together. Yeah. So we had to like decide who, who's, machine. who's stayed. Yeah. And he's won mainly because he fought harder. I've picked my battles and it also means now that because it's his machine, like he, he wants to make them. So yeah. I'm like, yep, sure, done. Go for it. This one's actually what I take to China as well. Uh, I get the um, beans from home. Aeropress? Yeah. yeah. Um, beans from home ground already. Take it over. And so I that you've got of, a taste of home. Then. Yeah, and I can kind of make a, a long black in a way. Um, when you take it all apart. And yeah, he takes that if we like, are camping or something yeah, too. Yeah, I love you it. don't need any power. No. It's, I mean, my family's that bad. When they do go camping, uh, my cousin is a brewster. Um, they take an old coffee machine, chuck really? it in the back of the car. And what, diesel generator at all? Uh, when they oh, plug it into like a campsite yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, and every morning pop the boot open oh, and it's shocking. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it's funny you say that. When we, we went on our first trip after the babies to um, go up and see my mum. She lives yeah. on the New South Wales coast and um, took the coffee machine at the expense of like two bits of kind of essential baby equipment. <laughs> Baby, babies will stay alive if yeah. you're alive. We're like the bouncer and the second cot, or will we take the coffee machine and then they can just share that porter cot? <laughs> and we went with the latter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first one. Yeah. I hope you don't mind, you because the boys are more than going to make themselves at nah. home. No, nah, they're welcome. I should be asking them if I'm allowed to sit on the couch. <laughs> you're listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. Up next, Ash takes us back to where her tennis journey started and we relive a crucial moment in her French Open triumph that mirrored her first ever tournament win as a junior. On SEN, this is Grit with Daisy Pearce. Welcome back to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. My guest this week and next is tennis world number one, Ash Barty. Well, it's a story pretty well told now, but... Um, it's one worth telling and hearing again and for the sake of our This Is Grit listeners where did you first discover your love of tennis and how did that come about? Uh, I think more than anything it was almost a process of elimination uh, my sisters, both my sisters Ali and Sarah played netball um, and every day, every weekend driving to netball um, when I was kind of four and five hadn't really started playing any proper sport yet I just muck around the backyard and, and whatnot. We drive past a tennis centre and a hockey field. And I said to Mum, I was adamant I didn't want to play netball. Just didn't interest me. Um, I don't know if that was because Sarah and Ali played it and I wanted to be a bit different or it just didn't appeal to me. And There's um, a quote going around that you, th- you said you didn't want to play because you thought it was a girl sport. Yeah. <laughs> so, just, do you remember saying that? Yeah, and I just I was like the whole like dress and I was like no nah, that's not for me I'm <laughs> I'm not wearing a dress when I'm running around seen, playing sport seen playing in that exactly <laughs> um and mum had played netball her whole life mum and dad were both golfers um and yeah I just originally I said to mum I think I want to play hockey and she goes why do you want to play hockey I said um well we'll have a stick like I get to hit hit things and and hit people with a stick and she said okay well we're gonna veto hockey you're not playing hockey so <laughs> the next option well. <laughs> exactly the next option was tennis um and a little bit of a family connection um through my aunts and uncles were directed us to this club at West Brisbane Tennis Centre and to Jim and and Robbie and yeah from that first lesson I remember it vividly which is bizarre I mean I don't remember a lot of things from How when I was we? young it was like two weeks until I'd turn five so I was still four four and a bit um 
and yeah I remember first lesson Jim said look we don't usually take kids until they're six seven or eight um, purely just because of of group sizes and um, we kind of want kids to try all different sports and and not be sucked into one straight away but um, tennis got me hook, line and sinker in that very first lesson. I remember hitting the first ball and, and Jim said from there I could stay and yeah, here we are. When you say Jim, you're talking about Jim Joyce who, as you've just said, was your first coach and you're still in really close contact and have a lot to do with him now. What, what sort of an influence has he had on you as tennis player and person? Yeah, I think first and foremost Jim was, is like a second dad to me. Um, he he's one of the first guys I go up to after a trip and, and give him a hug and um, go out for a steak and a beer um, more times than not at the Brecky Creek um, up here in Brizzy <laughs> and it's just a, a really uh, just an amazing relationship it is a, both a working and a, and a personal relationship and um, mum and dad put so much trust in him when I was younger um, kind of almost allowing him and trusting in him to to make um, almost all the decisions in regard to my tennis, what tournaments I played, kind of how my pathway was paved and how I, d- how I was developed. But um, I think Jim and I just had a connection instantly. We were able to communicate very clearly. Um, and even now, if, um, all it takes is, is a text message, hey, mate, how you going? And, and um, you know, I can't get him off the phone for, for 45 minutes or an hour. <laughs> he just, the poor bugger doesn't shut up. And, um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just an incredible relationship and it's nice to know that even though he's not really involved in my tennis as such now, um, if, you know, I give him a call and say, Jimbo, what do you think of my serve at the moment? Like, it's just not feeling right. He gives me two or three cues instantly yeah. that just come back to junior days and and things that work. Yeah. Exactly. So he's a, always a voice of reason and a, and a sounding board for all of us. Uh, there's an awesome photo floating around of a very <laughs> a cute... It's one of my favourite sporting photos of all time now, after it did the rounds throughout your awesome French Open campaign. Um, When you say you remember back to those days, can you remember that photo? Can you remember that tournament, winning that trophy? I can. Uh, I can because um, I remember it was pouring down rain um, the the last day and um, probably not the safest thing, but I was like, well, I'm playing in the rain, so I don't don't care if anyone else is, but um, I remember Jim taking that photo himself, personally, and um, to this day, I still have no idea how um, it was kind of released, I suppose, Um, because, you know, back then, it was just, you know, your your old roll of film camera, whatever, and... um, yeah to to this day I have no idea how it became a digital a proper digital print um so I mean it would have just been someone had taken a photo of it and and whatever but um yeah some some really special memories and often I'll flick through photos from when I was young and obviously they they bring back um memories and and kind of thoughts and yeah um when you say it was raining that day and you remember it clearly it makes me think straight to the French Open semi-final win when having started awesomely if that's a word (laughs) and then dropping that first set in the biggest momentum swing ever it started raining it did did Um, you think back to that tournament did anything cross your mind the synergies between that trophy win and then in that moment it's I mean I kind of didn't think of it at the time but it's amazing how many times when I've even more recently thought back on that week in Paris uh, on the two weeks in Paris um, how many weird things there are like that um, that because have crossed back Because for context, if you're not fully across the tennis and didn't ride every single ball like <laughs> I did. So like I said, Ash started well. You started well. Five love Amanda, about 
12 minutes, I think. Yeah, and oh. it was looking like, oh, she's just going to wipe the court with this girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amanda... Anna Samova. Anna Samova, I always get that wrong. Um, hung on after two set points and then won something like six of the next seven games to win in a tiebreaker in the first set. And then you go down... Double break, I think. A double love, break in yeah. the next set. So you're, you go from nearly having the first set in your hand to on the verge of basically letting the whole match slip. It starts raining and Amanda's, Anna Samova's box was kind of calling for the match to be called off. And she sat down and you stood out on the court as if to say, hang on a minute, <laughs> we, no one's called this game off yet. A bit of rain never hurt anyone, let's keep playing. And I remember thinking, it's gonna turn around. It's gonna turn around because you're in control in your mind and thinking, you know, it, you wanted to be out there and you're not scared of the next moment whereas she was looking for an out and I thought we're, we're back here yeah. we as in you and the entire country <laughs> that was following you I think what the the most bizarre thing was is that um I have no idea what happened in that first set after five love set points I, I remember I missed uh, I think it was I missed a slice and then I missed a forehand actually just normal balls didn't miss by much I was like yep no worries um and then it just, it was like a, an absolute avalanche. Um, and Amanda's is very much a, a front runner. Um, she knows how to, to get on top. And then I think, you know, at three love in the second, it was a, um, I mean, I had to make a change. And um, it was bizarre that it started raining. And I actually didn't see her box talking to her. But I saw how unsettled she was and how uneasy she was with the chair umpire. And I think... She wanted um, to get off the court. It, which yeah. is bizarre because clay's the only surface that if it rains, you actually keep playing. Mm. Um, and the, the conditions change when, when it does rain and the court changes a little bit. But I was, that's, I was like, okay, that's a bit bizarre. You've just won, what, 10 of, 10 of 11 games uh, and you want to get off this court. But, um, yeah, I almost had to flick the switch and, and try and hang in there myself. And um, obviously knowing how I felt at the end of the first set, I knew that she'd feel that tenfold trying to trying to win the match in, in straight so it was about trying to hang in there and it was probably one of the ugliest tennis matches I've ever played in my life but I think probably one of when I look back on my career whenever that is I think it'll be one of the most defining moments as well I was going to dedicate a whole segment to the French Open win <laughs> but we're here now because we've let ourselves there talking about the rain at a tournament when you were four years old <laughs> but um how do you how do you steal yourself in that moment? I've always wondered and admired this about tennis players that with the way that it's scored, you can go from being a point away from bagging a set and being halfway to winning the match to then three love down and on the verge of losing. How do you not continue to beat yourself up as the match goes on and and like I, I just think of how my mind works and probably this is why you're the number one tennis player in the world and I'm not but how, how do you stop yourself from beating yourself up over that well I think um probably goes back to to junior days as well there were matches in juniors where I was you know six one four one up um I remember at 12s nationals again vividly we we're playing in Mildura um down down south on grass and I lost that match and I felt like it was the biggest choke in the world. Um, at 12 years old, I'm thinking I've had the biggest choke in um, in all of sporting history. Um, <laughs> it's going to go down in the record books for the rest of yeah, the time. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it's it's a bizarre scoring system in tennis because you can literally be 6-love, 5-love down, not have won a point, but you're only one point away from turning the match, if mm. that makes sense. Whereas 
you know, you look at footy games, if it blows out to 40, 50, 60 points, it's, you know, it's a long way back. Yeah. And because there's a time limit, it's just tennis is so unique. Mm. Um, I think that's part of the, part of the, um, you know, the beauty of the sport that gripped me, but it's also a part that does my head in because it's, um, you can play so many matches where you're in complete control, um, you're all over it, and then, you know, one one thing happens and, you know, it splits out so you just go, what? Like, what just happened? Mm. Um, but it's the, the beauty of the beast and the nature of the beast, I suppose, and um, what makes tennis so unique. I'll get back to where we were in a minute, but I keep, I've got 101 questions <laughs> about tennis and I'm asking, I'm sitting with the right person, so here they all come. The other thing I've always wondered is why there's such huge... It seems there's more momentum swings like you're talking about in women's tennis over men's. Like, why? What's the popular theory as to why that's the case? Because how often do you see it that it's like Ash Barty 1-6, Ash Barty 6-1, 6-1? Like, it it seems to happen more often in women's tennis than men's. Yeah, I think... uh, I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out myself. I had a match this year in Madrid on clay um, before the French Open. It was... Um, six one, one six six one, and I walked off the court and I said that was just bizarre, bizarre to be a part of, just because it just felt wrong. It, I feel like no tennis match should have that many momentum swings and be that dramatic. I mean, it was all of a match. It was an hour and hour and a half, like a three set match for, you know, a twenty minute set hit is just weird. Um, but I think it probably comes down to, I mean, in my opinion, um, the serve first and foremost is because um, traditionally men's serving is big um, they don't get broken often but the women's game has moved to more um, of a returners kind of game I think and um, there are still girls that have great serves um, and look after their serves very well I mean you look at Serena one of the best serves mm-hmm. technically um, I mean just everything her serve is incredible and but then you also look at her and she's got the most incredible return power, um, the return placement. And I think there are there are more breaks in women's tennis based off that return. Um, girls are more aggressive off the return. They know it's going to be more times than not the shortest ball in the court that they're going to have an opportunity to hit. Um, it's a little bit slower than your... I mean, a second serve is a little bit slower than your traditional ground stroke ball. So I think for them, it's... Oh, them, us. I mean, I don't quite think like that um I know that I haven't quite got the return game to be able to do that but um it's an opportunity to to get on the front foot in a point um front foot in a rally and to just try and pressure your opponent so I think all in all there there are just more breaks and and there are probably a few more risks taken um in general play as well Mm -hmm. all right thanks for resolving that long <laughs> well hand, I mean I'm completely probably, that's <laughs> just in my mind and how it computes in my mind I think if that's you, good enough for me I'll be you passing ask. that on to anyone else that ever brings that up in front of a tv screen for the rest of my life <laughs> thanks for listening to this is grit Victoria Police is now recruiting apply now coming up we compare Ash's humble upbringing and introduction to tennis to the more pampered and elite pathways taken by her contemporaries and how it's shaped her into the player and person she is today On SEN, this is Grit with Daisy Pearce. Welcome back to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. This week, I'm in Ipswich, Queensland at the home of tennis superstar Ash Barty for a two-part interview that you'll hear this week and next. You must be... I I think you must be proud, but what feeling do you get when you compare your introduction to the sport and your kind of grassroots experience compared to where most 
top ranking tennis players come from. I mean, I think of the academies and polishing schools in uh, finishing schools in Florida. That just wasn't your experience. No, how I mean, do you reflect on that? Yeah, I, I was never in an academy uh, until I was probably 13 years old. Um, so it was just Jim and I um, doing our own thing and. I think for me that worked because it was a one voice, one message, and it was a message that I understood, most importantly. Um, I mean, you can you can have messages and, and lines of communication from a million different people, but sometimes one person just has a way with words, and you just understand it, and for me, Jim was that person, and um, I knew that I wasn't going to get any better anywhere else. I didn't need a different message. I, I had that from Jim, and, and then when it was time for me to try and take that next step to travel internationally and and do all those really scary things um it was about then going into an academy and and doing it with different girls and um almost becoming a part um creating this team in an individual sport mm. um which in tennis is is one of the most unique balances you'll you'll ever find is that um when you're involved in an academy you're, you're training with other girls um that you work you want to do well but they're also your competitors which is it's a very very unique situation oh, I want to talk about that dynamic a bit later but um, is it true that West Brisbane Tennis Centre where you grew up in a tennis sense um, shares a fence with a chook farm yes yeah um, <laughs> Robbie and um, Jim Joyce it's Robbie lives um, on the land there and um, yeah they've got one two five courts uh, five tennis courts, four down the bottom and one up the top court. You always used to hate it when you get shafted up to the top court. You had to walk all of 50 metres um, <laughs> to, to go up there and it was on the back of the road. The sun always felt hotter up there, but often you'd, you'd have your chooks coming down. Um, <laughs> I know that they've had um, some sheep and like alpacas and I mean, I, I did not want to know what, what's up there, but um, had there was a little fruit tree area with you know avocado trees and passion fruit trees and all these different things. It was just a a, cl- a tennis club that felt like a home. Um, and I I don't think you'll ever find anyone who ever went to um, to Jim and Robbie at, at Richlands at Westbridge Tennis Centre to say a bad word about it and to not feel welcome about that club. And I think that's what makes it um, really unique. So when you're on the circuit or when you're standing there facing off with an opponent and you know where they've come from and again I'm being pretty generalizing but I can't think of anyone else that grew up and started the first 15 years of their tennis career playing next door to a chook farm do you feel like the odd one out or do you feel different I think um I feel different I think because um I know that there's probably not anyone who had that experience and um you know the experience of going over there and flogging the little, um, uh, what are they called, pine cones that we used to chuck in the fireplace at winter. We go, <laughs> Robbie, we're just taking a bag of fire cones back home, um, pine cones back home. But um, I think a tennis, it's because it's such a global sport, you have of the top 100 women, let's say there's, you know, I don't know, 60 different countries just mm. plucking numbers. Um, you think that's 60 different cultures, mm. um, people coming from from different cultures, different parts of the world. Um, it's just, it's amazing. It really is. And, uh, you know, I talk to a couple of my really good friends um, often. We, we kind of share stories and, um, you know, I'm probably the first to admit that um, the WTA tour at times is, is not very friendly, um, but I'm very lucky to have kind of 
a half a dozen, a dozen really close mates that um, regardless of whether you win or lose, it's it's that kind of same relationship, which is rare. But um, And hearing kind of how they've grown up and how they've played, it, it just makes me appreciate more what I had. And, and, I mean, you just understand how different the world is. Mm. It's incredible. When you say it's not very friendly, what do you mean by that? Like, is it just that um, individuality, like 1v1 competitive nature of it? Or what do you think fuels that yeah, and I dynamic? Yeah, and I I think there's always, um, a lot of the time I reckon there's always a front of not wanting to let people in because you could play them the next week. Uh, you could play them in three rounds time. It's, it's, a, it's incredible. Like it's, um, it's bizarre. And I think um, I, was, I was lucky enough to, when I first went on the tour, I spent a lot of time with Kate Stalakwa. Um, and she, she was my mum on tour. She kind of, it was amazing how she just directed me to incredible genuine people um and it didn't matter who could hit a tennis ball better um i mean i'm gonna if i was gonna be playing tennis for 15 years these are the people i'm gonna be seeing every single day every single week every single tournament and um those relationships that i started back then with casey are the ones that i still go to the most now and and we chat about case all the time we i can't seem to get her out of my life Uh, (laughs) she's just always there it's how does she feel about you referring to her as her (laughs) mum Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think she says big sister at times, <laughs> but um, but so she helped you filter out the absolutely. the good from the bad in a sense because she'd been there and seen it herself already. Without a doubt, and uh, Case is just the most incredible person who is so positive and just brings in good energy. And the the best people were attracted to her. They just were found a way to be involved in her life and and in her, in her career. And I was very lucky to be able to see that. Uh, kind of firsthand when I was 15, 16, 17 and, um, and now have those relationships with the girls that are still playing. It's amazing to think you're a 15 year old out there in that environment but at what point did like going back to the West Brisbane days what point did you think I'm going to go after a career here like do you remember a moment where you suddenly thought I'm going to try and be a professional tennis player or was it? Um, I remember a conversation with dad we were at uh, well, down in Gosford, um, playing in a in a national tournament as well. Um, I mean, staying in little cabins and and kind of um, just just doing what we were doing. I don't know. We were just kind of going to another tournament. And for me, I never really understood that there was a professional path. Um, and Dad had played golf at a very high level, and um, in the end, had decided not to go professional. Um, so I remember it was I had to have been twelve or thirteen years old. And he said to me, he goes, do you really want to do this? I said, what do you mean? Like, I'm doing it. Like, I'm just playing playing tennis, loving it. And um, he goes, do you, if you really want to try and make this a profession, you really want to try and give this a crack, uh, it needs to start now. And that's kind of all he said. And it, it kind of sat with me and I didn't really know what he was talking about. I was like, right, mate. That's Come just on, straight over the let's head. Let's not get too serious. Yeah, let's just go and get some popcorn, mate. <laughs> do you reckon the Tigers are going to win? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Um, but it was just... Yeah, that that conversation um, for all of 20 seconds that it was um, is always a moment that really stood out and I didn't really do anything about it um, right then and there but then it was the next year um, when I was 13 that I was kind of thrown into the deep end and, and travelled overseas for the first time and, and that's kind of when it began. Thanks for listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. Up next, Ash reveals why she stepped away from tennis at such a young age and how she embarked on her short but life-changing cricket career. On SEN, this is Grit.
with Daisy Pearce. Welcome back to This Is Grit. You're more suited than you might think to join Victoria Police. Apply now. My guest this week and next is the number one female tennis player in the world, Ash Barty, who has inspired a nation by becoming just the second Australian woman, the first since Yvonne Gulligong Cawley, to claim the number one ranking in the world. But there was a time in her career when that was never going to happen. So, I mean, we'll fast forward through a little bit of it, but after a few years of doing that as a junior and then dabbling in the senior circuit, I guess, successfully, um, what was it that made you think you needed to step away? It's so early, relatively speaking. Yeah, I think, to me, it didn't feel like it was early. Uh, I mean, I'd been playing non-stop for... Uh, 12 years Mm. Um, so it felt like I'd already had a career Um, and I had the most amazing experiences in that kind of first career I suppose Mm -hmm. we we call it but um, it was again for context I better jump in because it's well documented that you had the 18 month hiatus but just in case (laughs) any of our This Is Grit listeners don't know Ash you were 21 when you uh no, I was, yeah, 17 and then came back when I was 19. Oh, look at me go. <laughs> um, so 17, had about an 18-month hiatus from playing tennis. Yeah. Did you think you were coming back? Um, I honestly didn't know. Um, you weren't thinking that far ahead? No, I mean, there, there's an option in the WTA you can take, um, like, you can have a protected ranking if you're injured, if you have a big injury or something like that. Um, and you can, from the time that you become injured or the time that you stop, you keep your ranking um, for 10 tournaments or whatever it is. Um, and I actually, like, I declined that. I, I didn't want to have my ranking of 120 when I came back, if I came back. I remember having the conversation saying, no, if I, if I start again, I want it to be completely clean slate. Um, probably not understanding that that was going to be really bloody hard. Um, to start again because you, you start from nothing literally you're not even on the on the books um you're not even a tennis player and I was yeah I don't know I, I I didn't definitely say no I wasn't coming back and I didn't definitely say yes I am it was just a a natural progression I was still coaching um almost every day so I mean I almost had a tennis racket in my hand every day and and we're still out in the court, but Back didn't have at a, West Brisbane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and at different schools and with different kids, and I just loved it. Like that was uh, just an amazing passion. Um, still is an amazing passion of mine. Is is trying to get more kids involved, and I think one of the one of the things uh, that kind of inspires me the most with kids is when you're trying to teach them something and they get it for the first time. That look in their eye, that smile, is one of the most beautiful things in this like world. A hit. <laughs> Yeah, it's just incredible. Like a coffee hit. Yeah, it's just incredible. And I, that's what I just thought, you know what, that's what I was missing when mm. I was the last kind of six months um, playing. It, it was just flat. It was dead. It was lifeless. Uh, and I think then, I don't know, I just, I think probably honestly I got bored and thought, you know what, um, I'm a tennis player. I, mm. can, I can do this. And, In and um, amongst there, though, was the cricket. Why, yes. why cricket? What, where, how did the, you know, just the casual <laughs> National League cricket career come about? <laughs> um, actually through a physio. Uh, a physio that had worked in tennis um, was working in cricket at the time. And I caught up with her and caught up with the um, Aussie cricket girls while they were in town one time and just had dinner. And 
scary how small the world is. Um, Grace Harris, one of the Australian cricketers at the time, I played tennis with her when at West Brisbane Tennis Centre, and I was like, this is just bizarre. Um, so just from there, I kind of went and crashed one of the Queensland Fire training sessions and um, met Andy Richards, the the head coach there at the time, and um, he said, just join in, come for a run around, and I was like, oh, I can I can do this. I was so far out of my league, it wasn't even funny. Um, but they chucked me in the nets and um, on a synthetic, synthetic pitch to start off with, I'd never even seen a real wicket, never gone out or anything on a real wicket, and... Um, yeah, and then just after that session, he goes, mate, come back if you want next week, and back I came, and uh, I know the girls were, were giving me a fair bit of stick. Um, that first session, I rocked up. I mean, I didn't have a cricket bag. I certainly wasn't going to be taking a tennis bag, so I just had a kind of over-the-shoulder country road duffel bag. Oh, boy, did I cop it for that. They go, come on. I was like, I don't know what to bring, and um, but just, just the way that the girls um, instantly... Uh, accepted me and welcomed me um, was probably, I think, the thing that drew drew me to it the most. The joke was probably on them, though, <laughs> about the country road duffel bag when that girl with the country road duffel bag barely missed a ball. <laughs> yeah, it was... Yeah, it was a pretty good session. I mean, I picked up a really nice bat and I was like, oh, this is this is good. I, I mean, don't I'd... think it has anything to do with the bat. <laughs> oh, the same does. way you're not allowed to blame it when you do a terrible shot. I don't think you can say that that was the reason why you went in and couldn't be beaten by a, uh, it was, a bunch of actual cricketers. <laughs> it was good fun. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I mucked around and played backyard cricket with Dad and, and things like that, but to actually be out in a... That's a great foundation, isn't it? Like, yeah. Oh, it was... And that was... It was awesome. But... And even um, one of the most simple things to them, I had no idea, um, my first throw, I've grabbed the cricket ball and I've thrown it seam up. And it swung a mile. And they said, what are you doing? I'm like, through the ball. Yeah. And they said, throw it. you've got to throw it cross seam so it doesn't swing. I'm like, huh. right, light bulb moment. That, that is the first coaching tip that you ever received in cricket. Yeah, yep, <laughs> don't throw the cricket ball seam up. And I was like, well, maybe it could have helped me with a few more run-outs. Uh, custard arm. But, um, no, I think it's, it's just an amazing part of my life. I'm still really good friends with a lot of those girls and um, try and catch up with them more than I do catch up with tennis players because I think for me that's that's the you know genuine friends in my life and what um, was that is it just a different environment team environment the banter what what what's the pull like what's the connection I definitely love the banter I think it's something that I'd never experienced um and I'd never experienced a team environment kind of mucked around playing all different sports when I was younger but nothing in a in a controlled environment or in a coached environment um it was more just kicking the footy around the backyard going and borrowing one of dad's golf clubs and off I went but um yeah it was kind of I don't know I I felt a little bit lost by myself playing tennis so when I realized that I had kind of 12 12 girls around me 15 girls in the squad around me um I was like no this is this is actually just really nice um and it kind of just didn't really matter what happened win or lose or draw it was it was just nice to to kind of spend time with them what did you learn about yourself in that period what was the biggest thing Oh man, yeah, a lot, uh, a lot. I think, in a way, uh, I kind of found myself again, if if that makes sense. I know it's a sometimes a little bit um, of a term that's used loosely, I think, uh, at times. But I, I don't know. I just felt like um, I had to experience what it was like to um, to be a teenager. Um, you know, I went 
went out to the pubs with my mates, went to a few clubs and instantly said, well, that's not for me. Um, I'm more of a more of a pub girl and, and a kind of backyard um, barbecue kind of girl. But um, I had to experience all those things that I that I didn't. Um, but overall was, was drawn back to sport and was drawn back to tennis in particular. You realised you weren't missing much on the club and pub scene and yeah i think thought you'd head back to tennis <laughs> well i think it's always the grass is always greener yeah, yeah. Uh, and at that time i i didn't appreciate what i had i just saw what i didn't have um and and now it's definitely being able to to appreciate and be extremely grateful for what i do have and um you know and that's kind of all that matters since coming back i don't know if it was a conscious shift or it's just happened in as you've matured and evolved as a person but you never say i in anything that you do is that conscious because it's always um, we and you play an individual sport but you're you're always talking about we've done well this season and we've made it to the second week of every slam like is it yeah tell us talk us about that no it's not it, it just kind of I mean I don't even know if I did it in my first career I, I have no idea but I think I I understand how lucky I am to have so many good people around me and and I mean my coach I spend 30 weeks with him every single year um him and I just doing our thing and and I'm extremely appreciative that he's able to um sacrifice his time and invest so much time into my career and um you know everything even though I'm the only one on the court um all of us work so hard to try and um achieve all these things and we have we have the same goals um we have the same passions and um yeah I think even though um I'm the only one playing I have, you know, five or six really close people around me that are helping me work towards the same goal. And, and I have all of my family and all of the people that have made um, so many sacrifices um, and, you know, have encouraged me and just put so much passion and drive into my career. Yeah, when you say we, who is it? Who, who are those people? Well, I think um, first and foremost, it's, it's Ty's, my coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my strength and conditioning coach I've got a couple of physios that I work with um Nikki my manager as well and then um probably my my spine of my support network is mum and dad Sarah and Ali Gary um kind of you know all of those those people that um regardless of whether I win or lose they I know that there's always a message from them um half the time it's not even about tennis it's about something funny that the kids have done or the dogs have done or um, something naughty that they've done where, where it just brings me a laugh and I think um, you know being able to, to share it with those people that's that's why I play um, is to is to be able to create these new memories and these new experiences um, and try and be as successful as we can. Thanks for listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. Next week we continue our in-depth chat at home with Ash Barty and find out how she found her swagger, how she views herself in comparison to the biggest names in sport, how many hours a day is dedicated to tennis and training, and the moment she became just the second Australian woman to claim the number one world ranking.